Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So, for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome back to Not Another Mummy podcast with me, Alison Perry. My guest today had always dreamed of being a mum, but at age 37 and very much single with no partner on the horizon, she decided to take matters into her own hands. Liv Thorne started researching sperm banks and fertility clinics, setting out on a journey that resulted in her being a solo mum to three-year-old Herb today. Her book, Lives Alone, is a warm and hopeful memoir and it dismantles the fairy tale that we're all fed from a young age and shows an alternative route to motherhood via buying sperm from Denmark. Welcome to the podcast, Liv. How are you doing and what has your day been like so far? Thank you. Hello. Um, So far, it's really cold today, actually. Uh, suddenly it's a bit frosty. It's turned, um, hasn't it? It's turned. And the boy, Herb, I just took him to school and came back and I'm now in my office just about to set up to do a day's work. Excellent. You know, standard. Nothing fun. It's only 10 o'clock in the morning. It is, to be fair. You know, Nothing I, I, I asked you that question like you've, like you've done loads. <laughs> like, well, today... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I've managed to get up and yes. get the kid to school. That'll do me. I'm done. Really funny, but that's an achievement. Yeah, I'm here for it. Excellent. Um, now, you've spoken about how you've always wanted to be a mum. Um, and you've written yeah. a whole book about it, clearly. Um, I have written a whole book about it. And um, I want to know from you, what is the earliest point that you can remember knowing that motherhood was something that felt right for you? Because because obviously that, that feeling doesn't happen for everybody as an adult, never mind no. in younger years. It's really funny, isn't it? Because I just assumed that all, all women felt like that, mm. that they'd all grown up being like, oh, yeah, I want to be a mum. And and actually, I've learned that loads of women are just like, oh, God, no. And then that feeling sort of comes as they get older, you know, so they hit their or, 30s or, it doesn't. or whatever. Or it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. I've met many women who have sort of said, God, you've really um, put my mind at ease that I definitely don't want kids because I've never had any of the feelings you're talking about, you know. Um, But I, from a really young age, Alison, like I'd say from maybe 12 or 13, because I think because I've my brothers and sisters are much older than I am. And so when I was 12, my sister had her first baby, um, and from then we've had 
a baby kind of every two years in our family at least minimum there are just hundreds and uh so I think when it's something that's constantly surrounding you and like I'm from a big family I'm one of four um and like I say my brothers and sisters have all got at least three children each um and my friends all started oddly looking back well not oddly but just it happened that my friends all got together with their partners in their early 20s and a lot of them had kids by the time they were 26, 27, 28. Um, And so again, there was another sort of influx of children. So knowing I wanted children started from, like I say, maybe 12. And then it just kept being reinforced every time someone had a baby. Like I was one of those people that got really high pitched and squeaky whenever there was a child. (laughs) Less so now I've had one. (laughs) Yes, funny that. Um, But yeah, I did, I was very, uh, I I just, I'm a bit like that with dogs now. I just get this kind of rush that I need to go and hug them. Yeah. Are you that, are you that strange person in the park who just rushes up to strange dogs? Yes, I am. (laughs) And I don't talk to the owner at all. Well, I I sort of say, hi, can I touch your dog? And then I'm not talking to the owner at all. I'm just (laughs) awkwardly loving their dog (laughs) as they're trying to walk on and get about their day. Yeah, Um, I am that person. um, And you've (laughs) said that when you were, when you were younger, all of your friends reckoned you'd grow up to be Pippa Ross, the foster mum in Home and Away. Um, As an aside, can we just talk about how weird it was when Pippa, was she woke up one day and she'd been like blonde she was blonde yes. with curly blonde hair and then she woke up one day and she was brunette redhead yeah curly yeah amazing that that's my favorite pippa the second pippa is my favorite pippa, I, I just don't think i ever got over it i think i i will always be um, an original pippa fan oh no i'm i'm the second pippa and i don't know why i i'm, just, I'm obsessed with her anyway else you need to stop me because i will there's not I don't have a cool bone in my body and that is denoted by the fact that I have watched Home and Away every day since it's first started. Are you are you, are you still watching it? Yeah. Oh my god. Absolutely. Respect. Yeah. It's tragic. Respect. It's like my 17 minutes of vitamin D a day <laughs> where you just don't think of anything. You just look at all these pretty people having ridiculous dramas. I love it. I love it. Um, so I so everyone it. thought that you were going to grow up to be Pippa Ross basically. Yeah. Yeah, because I think, again, because I was really um, uh, comfortable around kids because they'd always been in my life. Um, and I'd be the person also like at uni, I was the person that uh, had a car. So I took the girls if they needed to go to a hospital appointment or if they were really boozed and they needed picking up uh, from some random alley in you know, outside a club because they couldn't find a taxi. It was always me people called um, because uh, I was a safe pair of hands, basically. Um, And so, yeah, I think that it came about in my university handbook that I was most likely to be Pippa Ross because, (laughs) yeah, I, I was just constantly surrounded by people asking for advice or me helping them. Not in a kind of, Jesus, I wasn't being a martyr. I loved it. Sounds like you were very Um, maternal really maternal I think um and but in a kind of quite natural way rather than me forcing yes I don't know I'm one of those people that sit but that has a face that everyone sits next to on the bus (laughs) if I'm sat on a bus I there will not be a spare seat next to me they will come and sit next to me and all of a sudden talking to me about their life stories and that's always been the case that um 
and I I always want to help people. I just I don't know. It's just innate, I think, isn't it? It's that lovely. Kind of it's lovely. Um, and in your book, you share a brilliant description of the fantasies that you had of meeting a wonderful man, mm. moving in together, him popping the question, a country wedding, and then sharing the news yeah. of your pregnancy. Um, but the reason that you haven't ever met someone as far as you yeah. know as far as you're as far as aware think. as you think yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and allowed someone into your life that way um is actually pretty heartbreaking um and the way that you describe it in your book had me in tears i was sat in the gym cafe reading it just hoping that no one could see me kind of like wiping the <laughs> tears away from my cheeks um but for anyone who hasn't read your book tell us what yeah. happened so i mean this is all very my own sort of self psychology so this may not be actually what's up but in my head uh my parents died when I was quite young so my mum got breast cancer when I was eight um and she went through quite a lot of treatment and then she got the all clear and then my dad was diagnosed with um asbestos poisoning essentially which it sort of uh, manifests itself as lung cancer really um and he died when I was 12. And then after he died, mum got poorly again, and she died when I was 17. So I spent from the age of sort of eight to 17 having people poorly or dying around, when I say people, my parents. Um, and then after that, my grandparents died quite early. Um, and yeah, it wasn't until I was maybe early 30s that I realised the reason I'd, I'd never been in a relationship I think is because I didn't want people to get near me because if they if I let them in they could leave me um and and break my heart again like when my parents died because obviously that the trauma that that left me as a child and a teenager I hadn't really ever um acknowledged I don't think is I think acknowledged is the right word um and so and then I obviously like everyone else I had two um uh sort of first loves that totally broke my heart and it was after the second one when I was about 21 um that I was like no I'm not doing that again I'm not putting myself through heartbreak again it's just not happening um and it's the fear of abandonment, I think, um, because obviously things just kept changing throughout my childhood so much. People just weren't dying, um, and which is obviously quite finite, and the grief that that, that leaves. Um, but I hadn't realised, like I say, until well, really recently how much that had affected me. I totally thought I was fine about it all. Um, and I am, I mean, obviously I'm fine, but I, I didn't realise the scarring it had left on, on me as a person. Um, and therefore I would never go out on a second date because if I went out on a second date, they may, it may go well. <laughs> and then I may fall in love and heaven forbid they may hurt me. Or I'd deliberately fall for people I, I knew I'd, ha I had no chance with or, you know, because again, then it couldn't go anywhere because it was never going to start and therefore I couldn't get hurt. But the fear of being hurt and brokenhearted just was my top, um, yeah, fear. Like I couldn't, I couldn't bear to go through that again 
for anyone to leave me again. So I didn't put myself in a position where they could get near me enough for me to care whether they left me. And have you ever, have you ever had therapy about this? Because it sounds like the kind of thing yeah. that actually digging a bit deeper and and de- yeah. dealing with that trauma from your teen years might might really help you. Be good. I know. I've, well, again, I think I say in my book that um, I asked my sisters if I'd ever had therapy and they said, yeah, Liv, of course, at Mum's Hospice, they we were amazing. They had a, a therapist there for, for kids um, and, well, whoever, um, relatives of, of the people in the hospice. And I convinced them that I was fine. So I think I had one session convinced them I was fine. And I've sort of been doing that ever since. And so I have had therapy on and off. But again, I was a bit too scared to go there. Mm. Oh, my goodness, it's terrifying, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely terrifying. And I'm, I hate. I just hate being uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so that's again. The book was actually quite therapeutic. I bet it was. I bet it was. Not enough. I mean, I, I'm very aware I need more. Yeah. I, well, I think I think you do, and I say that as somebody who has recently started having therapy. Yeah, and I know. The whole point absolutely. of it is that you have to delve into that really uncomfortable yes. place yeah. in order yeah. to heal from that trauma. Get out the other side. But it's that it's, it's, it's a really massive step to make because... And it's also finding the right therapist. Like mm. I've had quite, I've had a few and they're just, I, I've never found the right one and you've really got to find the right one, especially for this, this oh kind of, goodness. this level of, uh, of therapy that I need. So yeah, I need to get on it. I really do. I know I do. Do it. Write it down on your to-do list. Yes, which is in front of me. I, I know you're good at researching stuff, Liv, because you research sperm donors and the whole know, sting thing really well. So this, <laughs> this is your next project. Um, okay. But deal. anyway, going back to um, how you were feeling back then, you've mentioned that um, lots of your friends uh, you know, settled down and got married and started having yeah. babies in their 20s. Um what was that like for you? Because you, you said in the book that it's like it was like having the countdown clock permanently ticking your mind, that you were aware of, yeah. you know, your own fertility, that that, that horrible clock. Um, it must have been pretty hard to be seeing your friends having babies when yeah. you knew that it was all that you wanted. It was, at the beginning, in, the, in, my, in our 20s when it happened, it was just exciting that my friends were mm. living that life because I was in my 20s and you, and you have that really beautiful kind of... Um, blind faith that everything will be how you picture it and so in my 20s I was like oh my god it's lovely because that will be me soon walking down the aisle and having a baby and la 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 and it just so at the beginning it was just exciting and then after a while it got tougher and tougher until the point that every time someone told me that they were pregnant I made it about me um, in my head not to them obviously but I couldn't hear them say, I've, I'm pregnant. All I could hear was me going, I'm not pregnant, I'm not pregnant, I'm not pregnant. You know, um, that kind of, uh, anxiety and loneliness makes you really, uh, selfish. And, and your thoughts are completely about you. Um, which is really shitty. And you don't want it to be. And you, you're trying to, you're fighting that because you're thrilled your friends are having babies, really. But all you can think about is the fact that you're not. Um, and yeah, that's really tough. It got tougher the older I got, obviously, because the, the dreams of how I thought life was going to be uh, were clearly ebbing away, which was making everything a bit trickier. Yeah. 
to sort of navigate in my head. And when did the idea first come to you that you could have a baby without meeting a man first? Uh, Well, I always joked about it from quite early on, in my late 20s, I think, um, about sperm donors and turkey basting, wouldn't it be hilarious? Um, And then suddenly I was like, oh, shit, actually, that's probably something I'm going to have to do. And then year on year, it became obvious that actually that was going to... I mean, there were no men in my life. It wasn't even that I was, uh, because of my fear of abandonment, that I was, you know, leaving a trail of devastated men in my wake. <laughs> there were, there were just, there just weren't any. To be fair, that was probably because you were so closed off to the idea. I mean, yeah, all those men yeah, probably were a bit really like, probably. not, not going to go near, not going to near her. She's clearly not up for her, any kind of conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. I, I'd like to think that, but I'm not sure that's true. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it, it just became more and more likely that, that I had to look for another route to motherhood to, to making my dreams come true because doing it the quote unquote normal way wasn't happening it wasn't something that was looking likely and so I needed to uh, take it into my own hands and and do it for myself as it were and you were quite nervous telling your family weren't you yeah I was so nervous because Again, they probably had assumed, like I had, what my life would be like. Um, and I knew, everyone knew I wanted a baby. I mean, it wasn't, we didn't talk about it, but it was bloody obvious. Um, and they know me the best in the world, my siblings. And had one of them sort of said, oh, really? You know? That would have made me think, mm, shit, maybe I can't do this. You know, maybe that is just a ridiculous idea. Um, and so I was really nervous about telling them in case they made me disbelieve myself and the fact that I could do it or should do it. Um, and the opposite was true. They were super supportive immediately and like almost sort of breathing a sigh of relief of, of course you should. Like, come on, let's go. And they, you know, there were, that's not to say they didn't have some concerns, but um, ultimately they were the same concerns I had. Um, and that anyone that going into parenting, whether you're single or not, have, you know, like, Jesus is now the right time. Can I do it? Can I do it on my own? You know, um, but ultimately they were amazing. You said that your brother was really uncomfortable with the uh, discussion of sperm. Yeah, all men <laughs> are. It's really weird. I think because as women, we have to, know our bodies so much better and and just with periods and stuff that happen like bodily fluids are just something that yeah, is just there happen. yeah um and especially now people talk about it more and more but men don't have that mm. um really and so if you talk to m- most men about sperm or sperm donation they get a bit giggly or like <laughs> no you know this kind of well yes um uh and because they've never thought about it and you're you're making them think of things they've never thought about. Mm. Whereas with women, like you say, bodily functions is just how our life rolls. So, so we just don't care about talking about things like that as much. So, um, yeah, my brother, bless him, was thrilled. He was so supportive. Um, he just didn't want to know much about the 
the ins and outs. Yeah, the actual intricacies. Yeah, yeah, the intricacies of it. <laughs> he just wanted facts yeah. and knowledge and, you know, that kind of thing. Whereas I was going, oh, I might be getting some sperm from Denmark. He's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and how did you even begin working out how much money you would need? Because it's not just the fertility oh. treatment and you don't know how much fertility treatment you're going to need, but it's also, as no. you've already mentioned, you know, the cost of raising a baby on your own. Yeah, um... Well, the cost of raising a baby on my own is something I did not look into enough. Um, but actually, I'm kind of glad I didn't, because had I have looked into childcare costs... Oh, don't even start me on childcare costs. Yeah, I <laughs> would have I would have uh, talked myself out of having mm. a baby and and then I wouldn't have I wouldn't have Herb. And so I'm kind of glad I was a bit gung ho. Um, and in terms of fertility costs, I again had no idea because you don't know at the start you don't know if you've got any fertility issues or um how long things could go on for so i just had to give myself a limit um of how many times that i would let myself go through uh treatment and if it didn't happen by then i'd have to reassess and look into other options or um because i i'm really uh what's the word um uh, abundant in everything and so and I, I'm not good at saying no or you know I'm the person that if you come for supper there's food for 900 people and <laughs> all that sort of stuff and and so I had to give myself a limit because otherwise I'd have kept going and I'd have been 65 still trying um, because that is how my life is inclined to do you know I just keep going Um so I had no idea on costs, but I, so I remortgaged my house. I was really lucky I had a house to remortgage. Fertility is a really, really, really privileged thing to be able to do if you have to pay for it yourself. Um, and the NHS, I look, it's a real hot potato, but yeah, in, it's postcode lottery, whether you can have fertility treatment in the UK or in England, sorry, I don't know, um, about, Wales, Scotland, and Ireland uh, as a single person. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know the ins and outs of it because it makes me a bit sad. Uh, so I haven't looked into it. And I, again, which is another thing I'm really good at, is I buried my head in the sand about it because I didn't want to go down the route of thinking that the NHS may be able to help me. Um and then them say no. And so me have to find finances elsewhere. So I cut that out of the I equation. See. And I was really, really bloody lucky that I could do that. And you do talk about privilege in, in, in the book. You do yeah. you do acknowledge really the privileged. fact that this yeah. is your story, this is your experience, but you're not kind of, you know, standing up and saying, hey, everyone who's single, who wants a baby, this is what you should do. No, not at all. I'm not. I'm not a um, expert in this. I'm an expert in how I did it. And there are loads of things I'd have done differently now. But um, yeah, being able to remortgage a house that I own in order to get what I want is the most privileged thing anyone can say. Do you know what I mean? And it's and the fact that I could go to a sperm bank and find a donor that was likely to look quite like me. Again, really privileged thing to be able to do. And so... I have to always acknowledge that um, because there are people in my position that don't have that, you know, 
that don't that that would need the NHS's support or or get sperm donors from Facebook, um, which again I totally understand. You know, if I didn't have the money to do it, I'd have looked everywhere else too. Um, because if it's something you want that badly, you look anywhere to, to get it to do it. Um, and so yeah, what I did and how I did it, I was so privileged, and I know that, and I'm I'm bloody lucky and really grateful. Um, although, I mean, that privilege came with a lot of other things, you know, like the reason I owned my house is because my parents died. So there's, there's that being a single woman at 35 in Oxford, owning a house would not have been happening if my parents hadn't have left me some money when I was a teenager. I wouldn't have been able to afford a house. No questions asked. Um, so yeah, it's all, it's, you know, life's different for everyone, isn't it? It is, it is. It's a frigging roller coaster. It really is. Um, now tell me about, um, the process that you went through to find the sperm donor, because as you've mentioned, you went to Denmark. Um, mm. and didn't you, wasn't it? The well, fact I went that to you, a website in Denmark. Anyway, yes, of course, you didn't travel. To, oh, I, I have these visions of you jumping on a, on a plane to, to find your sperm donor. Um, you, you watched a documentary, didn't you? And it was talking about yeah. uh, the, uh, the, the quality of sperm donor donations in, in Denmark. Yes, in Denmark. And so therefore that was the most I knew about sperm donation, uh, because I couldn't, well, it was the only thing I'd ever watched. It was the only thing I knew. So suddenly my main um, source of information was this one documentary and it all seemed fairly positive. Uh, and so I figured Denmark was as good a place as any because in England we don't talk about sperm donation. We don't do sperm. We don't. It's not something that's a normal, quote unquote, thing to do. Um and so our pool of donors over here to choose from is really small. In fact, I think, oh God, I don't want to say it because I'm not sure of the facts, but a sperm bank opened in England fairly recently and it shut pretty soon after because they didn't have a enough donations given to them. Um, and so I knew I had to go abroad, really, if I wanted a bigger pool to choose from. Um, and so suddenly Denmark was, uh, and a friend of mine's an embryologist and she was like, oh yeah, no, our clinic get most of their, um, donors from Denmark. So I was like, okay, fine. Someone in the industry also says Denmark, maybe I should look there initially because I didn't know where to start. I didn't know what to do. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, so I needed a starting place, even if I then was going to change my mind or whatever I needed somewhere to start and it just happened to be that documentary and you know in movies you see people like looking through catalogues and you know looking yeah. at men choosing physical you know personality features um, yeah. but it's not like that is it uh, it's not like that at all no sadly it's um it's a bit like tinder I guess in the fact that there's a shed you put in what you want uh, so height, weight, nationality, blood type. Strapping Danish um, Viking. Yeah, yeah, ethnicity, that kind of thing. And it comes up with a list. But it is a list of, uh, there's no photo or anything. It's a made-up name. Um, and then all of their stats. So, again, how much they weigh, what their uh, job is. Um, 
And at the beginning, I was looking as if it was a date. Like, <laughs> oh, he sounds cool, you know. And then, and, but for a really long time, then you're like, what, Liv, what are you doing? Like, you're not going on a date with him. <laughs> means nothing that he sounds like a nice guy. Um, and so eventually I started looking, because obviously my family is riddled with bad health. I look, started looking at their familial health and you, you get uh, up to their paternal and maternal grandparents um how they died all of that kind of thing um and then them siblings their parents if they've got any health issues so you know a lot of information about them which is kind of weird because if you were to if you were to meet a guy and have a baby yeah, with him you don't know any of that information do you, <laughs> you know like quizzing a guy before you have sex with him uh your, yeah, your grandparents yeah, yeah. what did they die of it's so weird but because you don't have the the um ability to procreate with them because you have a good time with them mm. you've got to pick another reason to choose them as it were um and I went on health and then and then on whether they sounded like a nice person or you know um and yeah I think that is important though because you, you you want your kids totally. to have nice person genes right yeah and it may be that none of it comes down you don't know what comes down through genetics into your kids but but I needed to if I had the ability to choose which I did I needed to try and make sure yeah everything seemed good <laughs> like he didn't seem like a narcissistic prick or anything like that yeah no um but it's overwhelming like what are you looking for who knows god knows and no idea um because what do you look for in DNA? Mm. And so, yeah, it had to come down to to health. And then just a couple of things he said that clicked with me that I was like, oh, yeah, okay, you sound nice. <laughs> he, watches game, oh. he watches Game of Thrones. <laughs> he likes Home and Away, <laughs> you know. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Um, so you, so, you, so you picked the donor and then what was it? Was it, was it IUI that you, that you went through? So I had IUI, which is really entry level 101 fertility treatment. Um, so they put the sperm directly into your cervix, pretty much exactly the same as a smear test. So it takes the same amount of time as a smear test. It's as romantic as a smear test. It's, yeah, but instead of scraping your cervix, they inject sperm. I into didn't it. know that. I I assumed yeah. that 
I didn't know that. I assumed that they, they, they put it right into um, into your uterus. No, it, they just shove it in, like, so you're literally in the treatment room for five or six minutes, if that. Wow. Legs in stirrups, and then they inject the sperm into you, into your cervix. Uh, so it's entry-level 101 basic infertility so it's not hugely invasive. I mean, did did you no, have did, did you have no, to go through no. all the injecting of um, no, hormones? No, so I, or you can. I opted not to because, um, as far as I was aware, I didn't have any fertility issues. Um, my problem was the fact that I was single. You didn't have the sperm. Uh, yeah. So my body, as far as I knew could have been as fertile as you like so I didn't want to inject hormones into myself etc if I felt like I didn't need to do that um initially that was my starting point I definitely would have done had it not have worked um and also because cost wise I had to be quite um clever with how I spent the money that I had um in order to be able to get a baby. But then equally, if I'd have gone with IUI, <coughs> uh, assisted IUI, which is IUI with, with hormone drugs, um, it would have cost more, but the chances I'd have got pregnant were higher. Um, and like IVF, that my chances would have been much higher if I'd have just gone straight to IVF. And my um, consultant wanted me to go straight to IVF because I'm old, I'm overweight. I bet, I bet all they the did. I, I bet they did. Getting getting more money from you. Yeah, all the statistics <laughs> suggested that I should have gone straight to IVF in order to have a baby. Um, but statistics are... I, I really struggle with statistics when it comes to fertility because there is no one person that's exactly the same as me. Um, trying to have a baby with this, exactly the sperm that I chose that time of the month that I don't know whatever all of those things have to go together for a statistic to be exactly the same as the next person that's doing IUI so I really I know that there are uh, trends in fertility absolutely but I think the statistics you've got to take with a massive pinch of salt mm. and don't let them scare you it's just it's really scaremongering. And like you say, bloody, the difference between IUI and IVF in cost and uh, um, invasiveness on your body is frigging huge. And I would have gone to IVF, absolutely, but I wanted to start out. Like I say, I didn't think I had any problems. So why would I start at the highest? For me, that didn't feel right. But I get why some people do, like, let's get this out of the way, let's get it done, you know. And I get why, again, the scientists, um, my um, consultant, is that they're scientists, aren't they? They want things to work yeah, out. Yeah, they want, they want success. You know, that, that's their job. Of course they, they do. That is their job. So I get why they did it. I think it's quite cynical of me to say they probably wanted the money. They wanted success. They wanted the best for their patient. Mm, I think both, to be honest. <laughs> it's an industry and... and uh, you know, the people within the industry forget that. Mm. Um, but those of us using the industry very quickly begin to realise that it's an industry because of the sort of quick churning. You're 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 most vulnerable when you're going through fertility treatment, whether you're single, in a partnership, whatever. 
um, you're vulnerable in that moment and sometimes the care you get is not okay mm. um, and sometimes it's brilliant you have to you know again it's a it's a magical freaking lottery it really is fertility so Liv yeah. how did you feel when you mm. found out that you were pregnant um overwhelmed I couldn't believe it was happening to me um, and even when I had him in my arms, I still couldn't believe that was happening to me. I couldn't believe I was finally that person that could talk about trimesters and how many weeks pregnant I was. And um, yeah, all of that that I'd been longing for so much suddenly felt really real and really fucking terrifying and all of those things so but again I think that's the same whether you're single have gone through fertility treatment haven't gone through fertility treatment I think being pregnant is overwhelming in so many ways in in brilliant ways and terrifying ways and it's um yeah it's overwhelming it's bonkers you've got a human being growing inside your body absolutely bonkers that's got to get out (laughs) and then you've got to look after that's always the scary bit i remember being pregnant thinking this this baby or these babies Babies uh, when i had twins um you know they've got to get out somehow ah (laughs) that and that that became more actually i became less worried about birth the further along i went oddly for me, because I'm the most anxious person in the world, so I assumed I'd be quite anxious about it. But actually, I I sort of made peace with the fact that he had to come out. Yeah. <laughs> um, and what was the pregnancy like in terms of like did you did you grieve any kind of shared experience that you might have had with a partner, or were you just yeah massively you did massively yeah yeah and I I grieved a life I thought I was going to have. Um, whilst I was going through fertility treatment as well. And I think that's why I found it quite so gruelling, even though, like you say, my fertility treatment wasn't invasive at all. I found it really mentally gruelling because um, I couldn't believe it had come to that for me because I had spent 30 years assuming I'd have had a beautiful uh, relationship and a lovely engagement and you know it'd all be hearts and roses like it had been for every other bugger I knew um you know pinch of salt and um I had to grieve that a lot and there were times when I was pregnant that that was really acute that kind of grief of um someone going through it with me like someone to hold my hand when I was sick and Christ, I was sick. I was really poorly um, throughout my pregnancy. Not just that lovely 12 week. Did you have hyperemesis? I didn't actually, but I think I was um, very near to that. You know, I, my doctor had to, they had to constantly monitor me, but I was never dehydrated or hospital bound, but I was sick for the full 42 weeks. Um, and yeah, so most of that time, I remember just thinking, Jesus Christ, not only have I not got anyone holding my hand, but all I wanted in the world was 
to be pregnant and actually it's the most horrific feeling I've ever felt. Did you feel like you could complain? Because people would be like, well, you wanted this. Yeah, a little bit. And then I got over it. And I was like, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care if they think that about me because I feel like shit. Oh, it's the worst feeling, and isn't it? It's the worst. And it's just things like you can't concentrate on anything because all I was thinking about was, can I, is there a bin near me that I can be sick in if I have to be sick Can't, where's the toilet wherever I am where you know that kind of oh god is that man walking past going to smell of aftershave because I will throw up oh. in his shoes if and it was so visceral it was quite I didn't realize when people talked about morning sickness how visceral it mm. can be how it's like you're totally fine and then something just triggers you and 15 milliseconds later they're sick everywhere it's like it's just bonkers there's no dignity to it is there no at all and I so I kind of grieved having a partner I grieved having a lovely pregnancy that I you know was going to be blooming and everything was going to be lovely and you know all that kind of mad shit you get fed um and that does happen for some people it does genuinely thrilled for those people because good on them yeah but but also a lot of people think it's shit (laughs) and that's fine and people need to know if they feel shit that that's okay um, I remember uh, Susie Verrill when she was pregnant and, and and she was so poorly with hyperemesis. And I remember just thinking, oh, God, OK, people do get poorly. That is something that happens because before I hadn't acknowledged it, not because people didn't talk about it, but because I shielded myself from people who are pregnant because I didn't want to know about their joy, <laughs> um, even if they were talking about being sick. Um, and I just remember thinking, oh, okay, that's cool. You, you, there are other people that feel shit. Um, and obviously Susie, bless her, was a, um, very extreme case. She was, she was. Um, but it made me feel less alone that, that it could happen, that people didn't feel great in pregnancy. Yeah. Um, and when it came to the birth, your sister, one of your sisters, um, was your birth partner, wasn't she? Well, two, both of my oh, sisters and my were. best friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I got a full team in. Um, because, well, I figured it was really unfair. If I had one sister, it would have been really unfair on her to take that pressure on. Mm. It's so intense. And so I had to have both sisters. And then um, my friend, again, because I thought if I was in there for a long time, I wouldn't want my sisters to just start feeling crap or feeling that it was too much for them and I always think with things like that the more the merrier just get everyone in it's got a party Um, vibe in here yeah sod it and yes they were all there for the full 900 days or whatever it was that I was in labour because of course my my labour went on not my labour my pregnancy um went on until 42 weeks because I wanted it to end at 40 weeks, you know, and you're like, come on, come on. I don't want to feel this crap anymore. Mm. Um, so, of course, it went on longer and then I was induced. And, um, yes, yeah, so I think it was like over 40 hours of labour. Um, so it was lucky there were three of them in there because they could all sort of boost each other on and roll their eyes collectively at me how <laughs> ridiculous I was being when I was trying to count but couldn't and pretending that I was doing hypnobirthing when I clearly wasn't um yeah I mean it was ridiculous and you know we, we talk a lot these days about the fourth trimester and how mm. important it is 
for the mum to be resting and to be looked after just as much as the baby. Um, what was your experience of that, of, of the, those first few weeks? I'm quite, I'm a little bit now, I'm a bit um, evangelical about the fourth trimester and and mum's resting. And I, whenever I see young, not young mums, any mums, new mums um, out, you know, in a pub when their when their babies were four days old or whatever, I'm just like, oh my god, can you all go back to bed and sleep, yeah. please? You know? And of course, they might be happy as clowns. Exactly. Out there, but I just don't want them to feel that pressure of, oh, we're out, baby's first outing. Like, just go back to bed. Just go back to bed. I have the same reaction. I almost feel like a bit sick inside for them, and I and I know yeah. that that is purely me and my own feelings. Absolutely, because I needed to be in bed you wouldn't have coped well sitting in a pub with a four-day-old baby and neither would i so we have that kind of like (gasps) feeling i have that and they're they're probably having a bloody lovely time but i have this visceral urge to go and hug them and get them cocoon them back into a nice yes look at the love of god go and have some chicken soup (laughs) um but i was bloody lucky like i have my sisters there 24 7 for two or three weeks um and I found it so tough, like unbelievably tough. Um, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I'd been so consumed with getting pregnant and so consumed with being a mum that I hadn't actually ever wondered what being a mum meant in that first, you know, few weeks, mm. especially. And I felt like I'd been hit by a truck and I didn't have that maternal, um, kick that I thought I'd have that I assumed I'd have because you'd had it you'd had it since you were 12 because I'd been having yeah exactly (laughs) and I'd been so maternal to everyone else suddenly I had my longed for beautiful baby actually he wasn't beautiful at all he was so unattractive (laughs) um and this this and I just didn't have that um need to to nurture him and I just wanted to sleep. I think I was in so much um, trauma from the the birth, which was pretty traumatic, um, that I just needed to sleep and recover to then be able to focus on him. Um, And actually when he was maybe, again, I'm really bad with, I'd say three weeks old, um, my sister said, do you want me to take him away for the night? And I was like, yep. <laughs> she was like, really? Do you? I was like, no, definitely. Yes, please. Could you? Um, and she was a bit worried at that stage. Like, oh God, this doesn't sound good. It's interesting though, isn't it? Um, because like we're fed this kind of idea of what new motherhood should be like. And it is that intense, immediate bond with the baby yeah, and, you know, not not wanting to be separated from them. And that isn't the reality. I really wanted to be separated. But that's the thing. That's not the reality for so many, is it? No. Some some mums, like you say, need to heal themselves before they're strong enough to then be like, yes. right, okay, now let's crack on with bonding and spending time yeah. with the baby. And learning how to be a mum. Mm. Um, and so when my sister took him, I went, I got home. I went to sleep for something like 16 hours and woke up she came about half an hour after I woke up with him and I was absolutely thrilled he was back and that's when I knew that it was all going to be okay 
that I had just needed rest and I had just needed time away to sort of regroup. Um, and again, I know that some people just like my niece has just had a baby and I know that she would not consider anyone else taking her babe away for less than 24 hours when he was that old. But for me, it was the most healing thing I could have done. Um, and it felt amazing when he came back because that's when I knew everything was going to be okay. Um, and yeah, I think it's really important for people to know that it is really tricky. You can feel like you're not bonding with them and that's fine. Loads of people feel like that. Um, loads of people don't. Loads of people do get that motherhood jolt. Um, but don't panic if you don't get it. Um, or ask for help. You know, there's so much help out there and people won't laugh at you. People won't think you're a bad mother or a bad person. Or if, if your thoughts are getting dark or scary or ask a professional for help, speak to anybody and they'll, they'll be able to help you. Um, but the likelihood is it will all be fine and you will get that urge to look after the babe and then, and now I'm bloody obsessed with him <laughs> Jesus Christ I look at photos of him when he's asleep uh, and you know and it does change and I and I'd like to tell myself that when I was you know two days into motherhood that in three and a half years time you're going to be obsessed with that kid don't you worry about it it's fine well, not even three and a half years it's what, much less than that but it, it, when time travel becomes available that oh, that would be, yes. I think, one of the the most useful ways to yeah. use it is to be able to go back in time and tell mm. your new mum self something reassuring. I mean, how yes, good would that it, be? That would have been amazing. Um, it would have made it all feel so much better. Mm. And then, of course, as soon as I sort of got my shit together and, and knew that everything was okay and started feeling normal... Um, and that I kind of knew what I was doing and we had a little routine and we got on. I had to go back to work when he was four months old, you know, because there's no one else bringing in any money. Um, the, the massive mortgage that I created in order to get him had to get paid somehow, um, you know, and so that again was really tough. And again, I went through a period of kind of um, grief of, I should be having a lovely year off that my nice husband's paying for, you know, that kind of mad thing that you think other people are going through. And they're probably not. I mean, I, would, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't class it as a year off, Liv. <laughs> no, no, actually, you're not, I mean. Um, but that's, God, no, actually. There are many, many times I'd much rather have been at work. But that kind of pressure of that, um, a monetary year off, mm, I think, maybe. Yeah, is the, no, absolutely. You know, um yeah, I just it's just all this bullshit you think other people are going through and that's perfect. And it just isn't. <laughs> no one's no one's got it perfect. No one's got it right, you know. You have to muddle on through to get the life you want and to make it work for you and your team. Absolutely. Because that's the that's the only thing you can do. Um, um, and you mentioned earlier that there are, are things that you would do you would do differently if you did mm, it all again. What are mm, what are some of those things? Uh, I would save more money. Uh, no questions asked. I would um, look into. I yeah, this is a bit tricky, but I would try and um, look into what clinic to use 
with slightly more depth than I did, which was Googling clinics and going to the first one um, because they weren't a, the right fit for me. And they made, whenever I think about fertility treatment, I don't feel excited. I don't feel, I don't have any nice memories of it. There was nothing I enjoyed about it because they were such a bad fit for me that I felt like I was on a, um, a kind of, um, what's the word? Conveyor, Conveyor belt. belt yeah. Of, yeah. And you know, they, they would phone like six months after treatment and, and say, was it successful? Mm. Your treatment, was it successful? Oh. And you're just like, are you kidding? I've only just got my head around things or, um, and then, oh, okay. Well, do you want to pencil in a date to try again? Oh my goodness. And you're like, are you kidding me? And looking back, it was so bad. Um, yeah, I just, but I know that some people have loved that clinic that I went to. So it's a very personal thing. I could never name and shame a clinic because they're, great for some people just for me they they weren't at all and I a lot of clinics do open days and um I should have looked further it's hard though right that. because you don't know what I mean I didn't know you what, don't what I was looking, looking for yeah you don't know what no. the possible experiences are no but equally you do get that kind of feeling don't you it's like when you go looking around schools or whatever mm. and you, no I have no idea no. what I'm looking for for her but if people smile at me and they've got a nice kind face I'm like oh okay you look like you'd be kind uh and it's that's the thing I just didn't do any of that I and that I would change definitely because I think my experience would have been so much better had it have been at another clinic. So in terms of advice for someone who's listening, who is perhaps, you know, thinking about doing something mm. similar, is that the advice you would give them to really research fertility clinics? Uh, my top advice would be to save every penny. Never buy a coffee again, ever. Mm. Um, buy yourself a coffee machine. <laughs> and then every time you would have gone into wherever you get your coffee and spend six pounds on coffee and a whatever put that into a savings account i remember seeing that in like women's magazines about 15 oh, years really? ago it was like yeah if you if you if you kick your coffee habit you can buy these expensive gucci shoes well instead yeah, you, no, can, totally right. you can pay for them. this <laughs> yeah 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 um so that would always be my main thing and also to like i said earlier to not um beholden to fertility statistics there are always outliers um there are trends absolutely and yes your fertility does decline after a certain age but your your internal organs do not blow up on mi at midnight on your 35th birthday <laughs> like you can still reproduce after 35 you will be called geriatric but you just roll your eyes at that <laughs> um and miracles do happen all the time. A friend of mine this week, she tried to get pregnant for eight years and eventually had a baby with her best friend, a, a surrogate. Um, and then her, they had a healthy boy via, like I say, her best friend was her surrogate for her. And she's found out that she's pregnant. Wow. Um, you know, miracles do happen with fertility. So don't let statistics scare you into uh, like I say my my clinic wanted me to go straight to IVF but I really didn't um, and I'm really glad that I was strong enough to say no because 
I, I did manage to do it without IVF. And for me, that, if nothing else financially, that was better for me. Um, so that would be my one thing. Brilliant. Liv, a massive thank you for being my guest. Um, You're so welcome. Liv's alone. Amateur Adventures in Solo Motherhood is available to buy now. It's been so lovely to have a Nasser with you. Um, thank you. Where can people find you online to hear more from you? And to see the delicious herb as well. <laughs> he is pretty delicious, which is annoying. Because <laughs> <laughs> he gets away with murder. Um, well, because I'm really interesting, my book and my Instagram handle are the same thing. So my Instagram is Lives Alone and my book is Lives Alone. It's because you've got a strong brand, Liv. I mean, it is pretty cool. I'm quite proud of myself for that. But I wanted to call the book Spunked, but my publisher wouldn't let me. <laughs> I think it would have been Ace. Um, but anyway, next time, maybe, maybe next, next time. time. Never writing another book. But that, yeah. can, that can be your podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, sure. That'll do. Liv, thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's been so good. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Okay, bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.